heads great and mighty God the king of all kings the Lord of all lords my maker my savior my redeemer my husband Lord Jesus we love you so much this morning I pray father that our praise and our worship has reflected such Lord that it's pleased you this morning as we sing these songs of Zion songs of home from hearts and lives that's been redeemed by your precious blood. Lord, we love you so much. We pray, Father, as we change the order of the service, now to the ministry of your word, that you, the great I am, the great Elohim, the rock of revelation, would step forward, Lord, and reveal yourself so very plainly and so very clearly to your people this morning, that would increase our faith, that would build our courage, Lord, but most importantly, that it would draw us nearer to Thee. Help us here today. Let our attention, let our focus stay zeroed in on what You have for us this morning. We lay our hearts and our lives open and bare before You today. We thank You for being our God, for being our Redeemer, for loving us, Lord. We thank You for all the many blessings and the mercies that You pour out each and every morning. Great are you, Lord. Bless your people today. Heal the sick. Lord, bring the backslider back. Those that are lost, Lord, let them weep their way to Calvary this morning. One here that maybe their heart's been struggling, looking for answers. Father, you have the answers. Your word's still the dividing of asunder between the bone and the marrow that goes right down deep to whatever it might be. God, you know our thoughts. You know our hearts, Lord. You know what we need. Lord, you promised to supply all of our needs according to your riches and glory. This is what your word says. Your word also says that heavens and earth will pass away, but your word will never pass away. Let us lean in close this morning to you, Lord Jesus, in your precious and holy, lovely name. Amen. Amen. God bless you this morning. Be glad to know you're redeemed by the blood of the Lamb this morning. Amen. What a mighty God we serve. While you're standing, if you can turn to Genesis chapter 2 with me. 
how good he is to his people. <clears throat> Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. Just want to read three verses while you're standing. God bless you. Welcome to the house of the Lord. As you've no doubt noticed in our worship service, he's here. He's here. He's worthy of all your praise, all the glory and the honor. He's obligated himself. He wants to reveal himself to you this morning. He wants you to know him in a very special way. Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. <clears throat> and the Lord God took the man, put him into the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. God bless you. You may be seated this morning. I want to give you our, our, our title this morning. It's Because He Loves Me. Because He Loves Me. And you understand that as this, this, this promise, this requirement, this law was laid down there in the Garden of Eden, the very first man before Eve was even taken from his side, this was the law that they was to require of. And, and many more would come along as they would come to know the Lord and they become to know aspects of him and attributes and personality of who he is and what he is and where he is. And as that revelation come forth, he was telling them there even in that infant stage, don't do this. And even as a child, it's so easy to understand and ask this question, why? Why should I not do that? It seems to be the, the first thing to come out of any child answer. As a parent, you tell them not to do something. Their first question is, why? Because you'll die, he said. And the infidel, the unbeliever, the all those that say God doesn't keep his word, don't understand that, that Peter talks about a day of the Lord being as a thousand years. And one day is a thousand years to the Lord, of our years to one of his days. Now, I was sharing with a brother yesterday that I do believe God created the earth in six days, six of his days, 6,000 years. And I believe that was a very specific reason. With all my heart, I believe God could have done it faster than I can blink my fingers and galaxies would have appeared anywhere galaxies need to appear. But there's a very specific purpose why God did it that way. God does everything for a very specific purpose. He never does anything for nothing. God has a plan. God has a purpose. God has attributes. God has himself that he wants you to know. And we understand that there are three, uh, a threefold purpose of God says before the foundation of the world is this, that he might reveal himself to you, that he might gain preeminence in his body, that he might restore his kingdom to its rightly place. That's his intention. That's his will since before the foundation of the world. Now, you understand that in Adam in that perfect condition, and this is nothing new to you. I'm just trying to lay a background that in Adam in that perfect condition that he was in, no sin, no doubt, even when Eve was born and was created and God took a part of Adam and he took a rib out of Adam's side and, and he actually built a female body out of that rib. And it was not meant to be equal in stature, equal in size. It was meant to be smaller, softer, not weaker necessarily, but more dear to fit in close, to fit in personally as Christ would have as a type of his wife. Now, and as that would come forth and that same law was laid down, you should not eat of that tree. And then as far as when they would come along and doubt would set in and, and Satan would work at her and work at her, and we'll get over that in Genesis chapter three, verse one. The serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, He shall not eat of every tree of the garden. This is just a few verses after this now. 
The woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, You shall not eat of it. She should have stopped right there, because that's what God said. And she adds to it, Neither shall you touch it. Neither shall you touch it lest you die. He had worked on her and worked on her and worked on her until she was frustrated and irritated, and now she's doubting the word of God. God didn't say that you couldn't touch it. God said you don't eat of it. Now, I'm not I'm not trying to strain at one point or the other. I'm talking about adding to the word. And you understand with her disbelieving one three-letter word, it brought death to all the human race. Again, building a background. <clears throat> and he told her, she said, that you will not eat of the tree of that garden. The serpent said to the woman, you shall not surely die, for God doth know that in the day you eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat, gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat, and the eyes of them both were open, and they knew, they knew that they were naked. Immediately. They knew that they were naked. Again, I'm getting somewhere. They knew that they were naked, immediately knew this. And the eyes of them both were open, and they knew they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves apron. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. Just the day before, it had been a continual thing since they were created that every evening in the cool of the evening, Elohim would come down and walk with them through the garden. Fellowship, communion. How would your day be if you had such a uh, an opportunity back then, walking every day with him? That'd be a pretty good way to close out your day. I've worked hard today. I might have sweated. I might have had stress. And as we said, the way the prophet would always put it, he'd come down each day and he'd say, Adam, and Adam, she wasn't called Eve yet, Adam, how have you and your wife enjoyed your day upon the earth that the Lord thy God hath created for thee? Very sweet, very personal, very real. And yet doubt and unbelief entered in. Now, God was not taken off guard. God was not now scrambling to do something to bring back communion. God did not predestinate sin, but God gave them a choice, just like he gives you a choice. It is no coincidence that Joshua made that statement, choose you this day whom you will serve. Now you as a believer, Paul would tell you, you have to believe that and do that every single day. I die daily. I choose every day to let myself die and let him live in me, to let my thoughts, my wants, my ideas, to surrender all that I am to him every single day. I make that choice because our God is a gentleman. And it is on a free moral agency. But God knew the mistake that would be made. He knew what Satan would do. But because Satan is only a tool in the hand of God. That's all he is, is a tool in the hand of God. He's a dog on a chain. He does exactly what God tells him to. I love that, that the last song we sang before I took over was there out of Job. If a man dies, will he yet live again? But he said, it was his question in the first part of Job. And then he goes through all that he goes through. Then you find him in Job 42. He said, now I know him. 
Now I know my Redeemer liveth. I know he lives. And in that day, after skin worms have destroyed my flesh, yet in my flesh, I'll see him. I'll see him. That's a good promise. That's a pretty good promise. He loves you this morning. He loves you this morning. Jump over to Hebrews chapter 12. The Redeemer, the Restorer, the one that wants fellowship with you this morning was not, excuse me, taken off guard. He wasn't scrambling. He wasn't trying to think of something. It was always his plan to do this because he always was a Redeemer. He always was a Restorer. He always had a plan to bring you back into fellowship. But like I said many times, that Adam did not know the Lord Jesus like you can know him. Adam only know him as a creator. Adam did not know him as a redeemer. Adam did not know him as being so discouraged and so depressed in his lowest points of life and the sweetness of his presence, sleep sweeping into the room and lifting up his head and bringing joy to his heart. Adam didn't know him that way. Adam didn't know him in a way that he'd been sick in his body for so long. Hurt day in, day out. Every day you you go to sleep hurting, you wake up hurting, and such pain uh, constantly. Maybe you get better for a little bit and come right back. He didn't know him like that. But then to have a healer to touch his body and make him completely whole. Adam didn't know him the way you know him this morning. Do you like how you can know him this morning? Now, all these things are, are, are very specific purpose. The tree, the figs, all those things were very specific purpose. And it's, it's not a coincidence that later on down throughout the Old Testament, coming in the New Testament, in those four guards, that it would be said that, that it's a curse to hang on a tree. It's an absolute curse to hang on a tree. Why did God allow them to crucify him on a tree? The most cruelest of all punishments. The most debasing of all punishments. He was not hung there with a loincloth on. He was not hung there with a robe on. He was hung naked. He was hung naked on the cross. His arms were not tied to the cross. His feet was not tied to the cross. They put nails through his wrists and through his feet on a tree as a curse for you. I promise you this morning he loves you. I promise you this morning he loves you. That mighty God that performed a paradox. It's an absolute paradox to fit Elohim, to fit all the one, this one that fills all time and space, to fit him into a five foot nine body. That's a paradox. The God that fills all time and space to wrap up in human flesh. Uh, Colossians would say that he was the fullness of the Godhead bodily. I, I, I love the fact that as the boat comes up the shore there in Gadaria that day, and this same one, this same Elohim, this same I am, the Lord Jesus Christ steps off the boat into Gadara that day. You know those demons that was on Legion felt it. They knew something was about to happen. It wasn't when he walked up on them. They sensed that presence, that anointing, that life, because they were fallen angels, demons. The unclean spirits that comes out like frogs were fallen angels, were demons. They're demons. They were fallen angels. They went with Lucifer. They, they fell to sin. They fell to what he preached. They fell to his doubt and his unbelief, and he pulled one-third of the angels away. Revelations talks about that great dragon that with his tail pulled out a third of the angels, the stars of heaven. They would sit there and they would inhabit this man. They would so bind this man down to the point where that you'd put chains on him, no matter how big the chains, and he'd snap them. 
probably was originally a good man. Might have had a family. Might have had children. But he got bound by demons. And they had him held because the sin price had not yet been paid. Had not been a way made yet. Had not been an atonement given. Had not been a sprinkling of the blood. Had not had an avenue to where the Holy Ghost, the strong man, can come into a house, this house, and no demon can get back in. Somebody I shout glory to God to that, where no demon can get back in. I guarantee you Legion was shouting. When those demons were cast out, he walks up before him sitting there and he's in the tombs and been cutting himself and he looks at him and he said, how did you get in there? How did you fit the Elohim into that body? How did I am squeeze yourself into that body? And immediately they start begging for their lives. Immediately. It wasn't, no, let's work this out. Let's negotiate. First things first, don't destroy us. Please don't destroy us. Do not annihilate us. That alone tells you who he is. Alone tells you who he is. You can't annihilate anything. You burn paper. All it does is go back up into molecules, the atoms that it was. He's the only one that can annihilate. And he was standing there in human flesh, and the demons knew it and were scared. They knew it and they were scared. How did you fit in there? Fullness of the Godhead bodily. In a body that was specifically created, specifically designed, specifically engrafted into the human race in such a beautiful and technically specific way. It couldn't just be by happenstance. Joseph could not have been a Levite. Mary could not have been of the tribe of Judah. They couldn't have been a Benjamite. It couldn't have been of Reuben or Gad or Manasseh. He had to be born of the tribe of Judah. Mary had to be born of the tribe of Levi. You had to be because Revelation said that he's the king priest. Melchizedek is the king priest. A way made, a redeemer, a restorer, all because of love. All because of love. What a mighty God we serve. What a mighty God we serve. Oh my goodness. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 1. You understand as we've just left chapter 11, if we'd had time to read it, you understand it's leaving that hall of faith. And, and even as I read these scriptures and I preach this to you this morning, you do not have to believe it. You don't have to believe it. Just because I'm reading out of the Bible that looks exactly like your Bible, you still don't have to believe it. You can sit here this morning with a heart full of unbelief, a heart full of doubt, and believe this ain't for you, that it ain't to you, that God didn't do this. But I promise you, he did. And it's not a coincidence that God, who designed and laid out the Bible that breathes upon the ears of those prophets, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1, said that God, who at sun-dried times and divers' manners, spoke to his children through the prophets, through his servants, the prophets. That's the way God did that. It's not a coincidence that each scripture is laid out exactly how it is. And as God takes that Hebrews chapter 11 and shows you those other believers, brothers and sisters of yours, that claimed that word, claimed that life, claimed him for themselves, and accepted that for their circumstance. That as Paul begins to blend into chapter 12, he said, wherefore seeing we are also compassed with so great a cloud of witnesses. So great a cloud of witnesses. There's a song that Jason Crabb sings. Then it's, um, I don't remember if it's called this mountain or what it's called, but, but in a part of that song, he says, I looked at the mountain and imagine in my mind, steeper than what a goat could climb, just straight sheer wall. He said, I'm looking at that mountain that was facing him. And he's like, 
I can't climb that mountain. That's impossible to climb that mountain. And he said, as I'm looking at him, he said, I'm starting to notice footprints up the side of the mountain. He said, I asked the Lord, whose footprints are those? He said, that's just the believers that have gone before you. That's just the believers that have gone before you to show you it can be done. Your brothers and sisters are showing you as your echoes back from these testimony all these years later that the same God they serve is the same God you serve this morning and he's still the same God. Yes, Seeing that we're compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. Lord, have mercy. Let us run with patience the race that's set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher. The author and finisher. We, if we have time, can get in Revelation chapter one before we close today that he's the alpha and the omega. He's the beginning and the end. John chapter one would say, in the beginning was the word. In the, that's before Genesis one one now. In the beginning was the word and the word was God and the word was with God. And then as it skips down some verses, it says the word became flesh and dwelt among us. He, the creator, dwelt among us. What a mighty God we serve. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, pause right there, for the joy that was set before him. As we stand here this morning, I don't know the exact anniversary, the exact day, I'm sure the Hebrews do, of exactly what it was of the exact date and hour that he resurrected, that he rose from the dead. But two days ago, on a Friday, all those years ago, the most precious being, the most precious person, the most precious fountain of life who had been made flesh was dwelling among them. They lied on him. They cursed him. They spit him. In his face, they ripped out parts of his beard. They took a crown of thorns and platted it and smashed it into his scalp. Smashed it into his scalp. Uh, there was a brother was talking about being in India and was watching some of the, the way that they worship. And they have a thing they do where they take these bones with hooks. Sometimes they put them in your back, two of them in your back. Sometimes they put it in your chest right there and they'll pick you up and then they'll drag you around with a horse or something like that. They do that in worship to their God. For the joy that was set before him, it wasn't just smashing that crown of thorns in his head. This is the prince of life. This is Elohim. They took a towel and wrapped it around his head and smashed him in the face and said, prophesy. Tell us who hit you. And yet he still opened not his mouth. You see the patience? Open not his mouth. And yet they still, these same wicked men, under the order of Pilate and Herod, took him to scourge him. It's so easy if you don't understand what happened, just kind of blow right through that. But that scourging is very important to you. Very important to you. You live in a body that gets sick. You live in a body that needs a healer. You live in a body that's not perfect, that will break down and will get sick. You might be healed today of something and in a month get it again because you're in a human body. You're in a human body. You'll need the healer. So he let them tie him to a post. Tie him to a post. 
and take a whip and beat him and beat him till there was no skin on his back. You could see his ribs on the backside of him. Joy set before him. Joy set before him. And then he allowed them to flip him over and do the exact same thing to his chest. What was this for? Why would he allow men with wicked hands to do this? See, in the Old Testament, to even give an offering, to go give a sacrifice, you couldn't just do it yourself. It had to be a priest. It had to be someone that was washed a certain way, that was anointed a certain way. All of those things had to be lined up to give an offering and to give a sacrifice. Yet here, he allowed men full of sin, full of doubt, full of unbelief, full of fear to take him and do this. Because you were full of doubt, full of fear, full of unbelief. He did that for you so that you might be healed. Isaiah prophesied that by his stripes, you are healed. By his stripes, you are healed. He also says he sent his word and healed all your diseases. How many do I need to give you this morning before you'll believe it? He sent his word to heal all of your diseases. I promise you, he loves you this morning. I promise you, he loves you this morning. God is so good. God is so precious. God is so wonderful. God loves you this morning. God, in, a, in, in enduring the cross, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, despising, despising. You understand what that meant? Like I said, they didn't put a robe on him, put the nicest clothes on him, fully dress him and hang him up there. That's not what happened. They hung him up there naked for the world to see. They hung him naked, embarrassing, shame, hung him naked. Endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him, this is your sacrifice, consider him who through <clears throat> such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest you be wearied and faint in your own minds. Consider him this morning. We're talking about the love of God. You fight the same enemy I fight. Every single day, the enemy is telling you, you ain't worth nothing, that you're not saved, that you're not redeemed, that he did not die for you, that he did not pay that price for you. I'll say it again, Satan's a liar. Satan's a liar. Now, I do understand Satan, the best lie is full of a little bit of truth. It, that's the best lie. If I walked in and tell you now that the sky in this room is only blue and or orange, you're like, that makes no sense. But if I would tell you that what's actually happened is your eyes are starting to go bad. Cataracts are slipping in. Something's going blind in your eyes. You would start to believe that a little bit easier than just believing the other what I said. But God is truth. His word was sent to heal all of your diseases. He endured the cross, despised the shame for the joy that was set before him. For the joy that was set before him. Turn back to Isaiah chapter 29. We can open this front door too. Sorry it's so warm in here. Isaiah chapter 29 verse 10. 
For the Lord hath poured out upon you the spirit of deep sleep and hath closed your eyes. The prophets and your rulers, the seers hath he covered. And the vision of all is become unto you as the word of a book that's sealed, which men deliver to one that is learned, saying, Read this, I pray thee. And he saith, I cannot, for it is sealed. Wherefore the Lord said, for as much as this people draw near me with their mouth and with their lips to honor me, but have removed their heart far from me and their fear toward me is taught by the precept of men. Their fear toward me is taught by the precept of men. The Bible talks about the fear of God being the beginning of wisdom. It's the beginning of wisdom. I reverence him. I know his word. I love his word. I live only for him. That's the beginning of wisdom. What they had done is they had took the Ten Commandments alone and had added to and added to and added to so frequently and so much that the people, they couldn't do anything without a certain tingling, without a certain bell, without all these things that they no way could live up to. No way could live up to. We get this door up here propped open, chair or whatever we need to hold it. <laughs> and that the fear of the of their fear toward me is taught by the precept of men. Therefore, behold, this love is what I'm talking about this morning. Verse 14. Therefore, behold, I will proceed to do a marvelous work among this people, even a marvelous work and a wonder. For the wisdom of their wise men shall perish, and the understanding of their prudent men shall be hid. Woe unto them that seek deep to hide their counsel from the Lord and their works in the dark. And they say, who seeth us? Who knoweth us? This is starting to sound familiar to you now. As he's sitting there and he heals the man that was paralytic and he heals him. And as he's healing him and he tells him, thy sins be forgiven him. You have a Pharisee sitting there and in his heart, he's saying, who can forgive sins but God? Who does these things? He's hiding it in his heart in the presence of the word. And he's thinking this in his heart. And Jesus turns to him and tells him, I can. I can. You have this prophecy right here in there. Who can hide these things? Who can do these things without seeking his counsel? And they're trying to hide it in their heart. These ones that have taught the fear of God wrong. They've taught the fear of God wrong. And now as they sit there and they have all these mixed up ideas of who God is to the point when God shows up, they didn't even recognize him. Most importantly, they didn't want him. Didn't even want him. Didn't even want him. Didn't want him. But he says, I'll do a marvelous work. I'll do a marvelous work. Marvelous. He says, I'll do a marvelous work among this people. Even a marvelous work and a wonder for the wisdom of their wise men shall perish. The understanding of their prudent men shall be hid. Verse 16. Surely your turning of things upside down shall be esteemed as the potter's clay. What did Jesus do? They had already set up a, 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 almost like a pawn shop in, in the temple. They were selling all these things. It's almost starting to sell indulgences, selling all these things inside the house of the Lord. It went from a priest couldn't go in there without being struck dead to where now they're selling things in the house of the Lord. So he comes in. He kicks over the tables. He busts up the money changers. He makes a whip and goes through there. And he asks, Isaiah's prophesying that. He said, won't you say that this sounds like the potter? Surely your turning of things upside down shall be esteemed as a potter's clay. This was the creator doing this. Was it not the creator? 
That's who he was. That's who he is. And their works, skip down. They shall say the work, for shall the work save him that made it? He made me not. Or shall the thing framed save him that framed it? He had no understanding. What foolishness. What ignorance to look at the creator, the one that made your body, and say, you did not make me right. You made me wrong. Seem like the world today? Seem like the same one, that same spirits in the world today? But God still loves you. God still loves you. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 7. I'm so glad he loves us this morning. I am so glad he loves us. You understood his promise right there in, 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 um, in, in Isaiah, what God's will was to not leave them that way, even though they were how they were and they thought of him how they thought of him. He said, I won't leave you that way. Even though you're my enemy, I won't leave you that way. Even though you hate me, I won't leave you that way. He said, I'll do a marvelous work. Here's what he does. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 6. For thou art an holy people unto the Lord thy God. I'll make every one of you in this room start screaming, Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Because I was not holy before him. I was not redeemed and perfect in his sight before him. But thou art a holy people unto the Lord thy God. The Lord thy God hath chosen thee to be a special people unto himself above all people that are upon the face of the earth. The Lord did not set, he did not set his love upon you and choose you and choose you because you were more in number than any people for you were the fewest of all people. But because the Lord loved you, because he would keep the oath which he had sworn unto your fathers, and hath the Lord brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you out of the house of bondmen from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. The Redeemer, because he loves me, he set his love upon me, he chose to love me. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I want to read this quote to you out of the church age book. The cloudy skies and the storms of life are no signs of God's disapproval. Neither are bright skies and still waters signs of his love and approval. His approval of any of us is only in the beloved. His love is elective, which he had for us before the foundation of the world. Romans 8 teaches that. Does he love us? The question's asked. Ah, yes. But how shall we know? We shall know because He said so. And he manifested that he did love us for he brought us to himself and gave us of his spirit, placing us as sons. And how shall I prove my love to him? This should be burning in the heart of every believer. How shall I prove my love to him? Not with lip service. I read that out of Isaiah 29. Not with lip service. Not with just saying, writing it down, I love him. No, but from my heart. How do I prove it? I want to know that from my heart. How can I prove that I love him? By believing what he said and by conducting myself with joy amidst the trials that he in his wisdom allows to come to pass. Conducting myself with joy because he loves me. Turn over to Romans chapter 3.
goodness, and kind of bouncing right past. Romans chapter 3, verse 21. <laughs> but now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested. The righteousness of God without the law is manifest. And there's so much description and there's so much of an example to live your life in this very verse that it's not, a, it, it's not about the law. It's about the surrendered heart to him. And by that, you become a law unto yourself. Not unto yourself, because the Bible, the, the scripture is of no private interpretation. You are witnessed and vindicated and proven by the fruit of the Holy Ghost. But now the righteousness of God without the law was manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all that believe. There's the criteria that believe. Is this promise unto you? He said, for there is no difference. There is no difference. Paul would say many times, does it matter whether it's bond or free, slave, master, uh, boss, employee, father, son, mother, daughter? There's no difference in that. What the difference is, is the heart that believes. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's not one perfect person in our flesh sitting here this morning. Every one of us were his enemy. Every one of us did by nature those things of sin. You were born in this world, shaped in sin, working in iniquity, speaking lies. All of sin and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. This is where it gets real beautiful. In the redemption that's in Christ Jesus. See, redemption has two parts. Redemption has two parts. There's a coming out of and a going into. You must come, now it's, it's, on Wednesday night, that light, that picture is not illuminated. That right there is Revelation chapter three. The Lord Jesus on the outside of his church, knocking, come unto me. I'm not going in there. You come unto me. Come unto me, all you that are weary and heavy laden. And I, I alone, the I am will give thee rest. I, the Holy Ghost, will give you wisdom and revelation and understanding in the knowledge of him, the Lord Jesus Christ. That redemption was in him. The, the mistake that Adam and Eve made, it, it put earth into a blackout. It literally blacked out all of the earth where there was now, when you time you get over to the book of Exodus, that when the, the Spirit of the Lord would come down upon the earth, that if anything touched the mountain he come into, that thing, man or beast, had to be killed. Could not come unto him. Could not come unto him. That's not what he wanted. See, like I said, before he made that statement, come unto me, all oh, you are labor, weary and heavy laden, you could not come unto him. You could not come unto him. It was certain death. Not maybe, maybe, no, it was certain death. You have that very same type in the book of Esther with King Ahasuerus. She told them that I cannot just happen into the king's chamber. I cannot just do that. I'll be struck dead. If he does not bid me come, I will be killed instantly. Before the cross, before that fact, that sacrifice, before that atonement be made, for you to come into the throne room of God, you'd have been killed instantly. You could not come. So again, I say it, a blackout, a complete blackout. There was no way to cross that chasm. But he wanted you not just to cross it, he wanted you in him. So the redemption, 
that process, that vehicle, the way God did that. See, you were in him in potential because the Bible says before the foundation of the world, he predestinated and elected and chose you to be his bride. You can't get out of the book of Romans without believing this. This just covers it over and over and over. Every which way you can say it or think it, it confirms it and confirms it and confirms it. Before before Genesis 1-1, his plan was for you. This is what he wanted for you before Genesis 1-1. And to get you into him. I don't have enough time to go through all this. But he asked Job, where were you before the foundation of the world? Where were you, Job? And Job had spiritual amnesia like we're born with. We bypass our theophany at birth. He had spiritual amnesia. Jesus did not. If he had had that, he would have said, I was in you. That's where I was. I was in a seed form. I was in that predestination. I was in you. You can't go back to him if you're not from him. You don't get the Holy Ghost and make you a son. You get the Holy Ghost because you were a son. Always was a son. You were a seed of God. I love the how God can be so, his timing and, and the way that he, he, he speaks his parables. That They'll be asking different questions and, and he'll just break off into a parable. A, a sower went out forth in the world to sow seed. And he sowed his seed. And then become, come behind him was an evil sower. And can you imagine sitting there? I think about this all the time. These Pharisees, these wise, learned, and, and scholars are sitting there what are you saying? He's saying, I said, let there be. He said, I am he that doth speak to thee. I said, let there be. I sowed the seed. Satan come behind in Revelations 3 and sowed his seed. This is why that God said that your seed will stomp the head of the serpent and that serpent seed will be enmity against your heel. This is scripture. This is scripture, but in Christ, in Christ Jesus, the redemption in Christ Jesus, that body, that first coming of Christ that, that made a way to where that he can take and pull you into him. Now in him, in that seed form, you had no way to know him. For example, I, if you would have caught me 20 years ago, I would have had at least six children inside of me in that seed form. That not to be crude, please don't misunderstand me, but, but that's where they were there. When a child, a son is born, he has all the seed they'll have. The mother has all the eggs that they'll have in them when they're born and they're there and prefigure, but I can't fellowship with them. But now that they're come out and they're manifest and they're expressed as sons of God, now I can have fellowship with them. Now I can talk to them. Now I can, I can have communion with them. Even when they were babies, it was still not the same like it is now. When you would talk to them in a baby form, you wouldn't get a very deep conversation. When they were one or two, you couldn't get very deep conversation. But as they get older, they give their hearts to God. They learn what it is to walk before the Lord daily. Now you've got someone you can communicate and commune with and fellowship with in a way that you could not before. So that's the way it is with God, that at cross, at the Calvary, when they stabbed that spear in his side, water and blood poured out. He separated himself from his wife. He separated himself from his wife. That was you. 
You were in him, just like Adam there back in Genesis 2. He Eve was in him. God created him, both them, male and female in spirit form. He later creates the body of Adam, and then later after that, he separates Eve from the side of Adam. That's the same way with the second Adam, that you were in Christ, but yet you were not yet manifested because he had to redeem and restore a path for you to be manifested in and for you to be able to survive against the same attacker, the same deceiver that Eve fell to. What a beautiful path. What a beautiful propitiation. That he said, and I say this all the time, he makes that statement and it's a guarantee. He said it'd be so very close at the end time that it would deceive the very elect if it were possible. That's a a guarantee. He's not talking to you, he's talking to the enemy. See, the serpent beguiled Eve. Satan inhabited the serpent and beguiled Eve and deceived her, the first Eve. You, being the bride and wife of Christ, will not be deceived. Not by anything of your own doing. Not by any of those things. The Bible says he hath prepared for himself a bride without spot, without blemish, or any such thing. This is his doing. And we'll say it, it's marvelous. It's marvelous, marvelous. So this redemption, this life, this redemption, this restoration that was in Christ Jesus, verse 25, whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood, through faith in his blood, faith in his blood. Now, Acts chapter 19, Paul comes along and he asks those believers, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And they asked him, We didn't even know there'd be such a thing called the Holy Ghost. We didn't even know if that'd be such a thing. Did not even know if it was such a thing. They didn't understand. They didn't understand what God had did. God opened up a way. He said, I will go away, but I won't leave you comfortless. I will come myself. I will come myself in spirit form. If they're at the, the, the pool, at the well, Jacob's well, Jesus is talking to the Samaritan woman who had had five husbands, and he told her, I am he that does speak to you. He said, the Father is a spirit, and they that worship him can only worship him in spirit and truth. Only in spirit and truth. See, that spirit, that life, that heart is faith. The truth is the truth, whether you believe it or not. It's whether you believe it or not, it's the truth. Nothing else is true. It's only his word that's true. Everything else will pass away. Even laws that have been on the books 50, 60 years are being changed constantly. That's not an absolute. That's not a tie post. It can be changed before morning. This cannot change because God does not change. He backs up his promise. He backs it up. God keeps his word. He backs it up. So the propitiation through faith in his blood, since you believed. Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? A lot of people say that, well, I believed and God gave me the Holy Ghost. He said, you don't understand that right. You got to see that you must believe. Yes, you must believe. And then God, just like the Old Testament sacrifice, he examines you. He looks at you. He looks at your heart. He looks at your mind. He looks at your spirit. He looks at everything on you and he has to agree. Come on now, he's got to agree that you believe in him. You don't lie to him. There's no tricking him. There's no, oh, I pour the water over his eyes. No, he looks at you and he can tell whether or not you believe or not. And then he gives you the gift of the Holy Ghost. That's him coming inside of you. So, 
the redemption in him, the propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. Forbearance. Forbearance. We serve a holy God. Such a holy God. You can't bring dirty faith to God. You can't bring dirty sin to God. Your best thing you ever did is filthy rags in his sight. Your righteousness in your flesh is filthy rags. But in him, in him, you're accepted. In what he done, you're accepted. So this forbearance of God, because of what he promised Adam, he promised Adam this, if you do that, I've got to kill you. This isn't a telling your son, if you play in the street, if you do this, I'm going to whoop you. He said, if you do that, you're going to have to die. Now, the voice that said this, to make our God just, to make him just, do you believe he's a just God? Do you believe the judge that you stand before in your life, that he is a just God, that you can't bring all your money and buy him off? That you can't say, I told them about you, now I can buy you off and I can do what I want. Not that kind of a God. He's a just God. That he had to be the same one that died. Had to be the same one that told Adam, the day you eat thereof, that day you die. If it was not the same one that said, it is finished, you are not redeemed. And again, you have a paradox in that. But when you talk about the technical specificity of God, who has to be satisfied for the sin debt, you or him? He had to be satisfied. People say all the time, God can't die. So Jesus was just a man. No, he was more than a man. Oh, he was more than a man. Winds and the waves and the sea obeyed him more than a man. Demons got scared if he got near more than a man. The sick were healed. The dead were raised more than a man. And he said, these works that I do, you'll do. His wife, these works that I do, shall you do. He said, but greater than these, because I go to the Father. Greater than these. See, forbearance of God. Before that price was paid, you were worthy of death. You were worthy of destruction. Because you were born in sin, shaped in iniquity, just like I was. But that Redeemer purchased your salvation. Purchased your salvation. Yes, God is just. Yes, God is real. Yes, God keeps his word. But God is merciful. And that merciful brought forbearance. That he did not destroy you. That he did not destroy me. I'll tell you something that will bless your heart right now. That he didn't give up on you. You think about that. You think about the mess you've done in your life. All the mistakes you've done, you knew better. All the junk that you brought before him. You're worthy of the, of the lake of fire. You're worthy of hell. You're worthy. I'm worthy. I'm not talking to you. I'm, I'm talking to me. I'm worthy. That he put up with it and redeemed me, forgave me, and made me where I wouldn't do it again. Because true repentance is not doing it again. True repentance is not doing it again. My goodness, through the forbearance of God, to declare, verse 26, I say at this time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. Now, as Paul is being used to write this, this, this chapter right here, 
Paul would also tell you that in, in perilous times, in days come to Timothy, that false Christs will arise. False Jesuses will arise. There'll be people today that'll be named Jesus and they're not Jesus. They would say that the anointed of who they might be, but there's a false anointing. There's a false anointing because again, those third of the angels are still out there. Those demons, they will anoint. Cain was a very religious person. Satan, Lucifer was a very religious person. You understand that? I don't have time to read Isaiah 14 to you, but a very religious person beforehand. But then uh, that, that iniquity was found in the heart of Lucifer to the point where now that he himself wanted the worship. Instead of giving the worship, he wanted the worship. To declare, I say, the righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. He said, where is boasting then? Where is boasting then? I can't remember the exact scripture. Paul starts talking about, if I was to tell you what I've been through, you've been bragging about the things you went through. You had this, you had this, you had this, and you still struggle serving God. You had this, you had this, you had this, you still struggle serving God. He said, I was beaten 39 times, saves one, four times, over and over. I was shipwrecked. I floated in the sea on a piece of wood for days. I got to shore and a snake bit me immediately over and over and over. And yet still times we struggle serving God. Well, I should just give up. I should do this. That's the devil. That's the devil. They're trying to tear you apart, trying to tear you down. Because again, when your heart is surrendered and you start to believe that God is true, you're, a, you're the number one worst enemy to Satan. You're his number one worst enemy because when you start to believe, I think about <clears throat> what God has done for this church. I was asking Sister Vanessa the other night of all the churches that she's been in, have you ever seen a church that Satan fought harder than this one right here? Ever come against harder than this? Has tried to split more than this one right here? Trying to bring discouragement and doubt and oppression than this one right here? We're not nothing great. We're not nothing big. This is the mercy of God. But what you have right here is someone that believes God is true. And believes his word. And we're seeing the fruit of it. Jesus said by their fruits you'll know them. You'll see the fruit of it. That scares Satan to death. Because Romans also talks about the manifestation. All creation is waiting for the adoption of the sons of God. The manifestation of those adoptions. And what that looks like is a redeemed son or daughter of God that believes every word. That lives by Every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Not, well, I'll take this page, but I won't take that page. You can rip that out. You can wipe that out. I don't even know what that says. No, every word. And if it runs contrary with my life, with what I think, how I feel, or anybody else said, they got to go, he's got to stay. That's him first. Him first. Every man's word be a lie. Every man's word be a lie. So that's what I was saying about in Jesus. It's in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's in that vehicle. It's in that name. Everything, every deed, every done in heaven, on the earth, under the earth, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And there's your power. There is where you're accepted. In that redemption. It's not in any other thing. It's in him and only in him. 
So as you see, as you're pulled out there at the cross at Calvary, now you're in this world. You're to live. You're to go through your tests. You're to go through your trials because God is looking for a certain character from you. He's looking for a certain voice to come out of you. He's looking for a certain witness and a testimony to come out of you. And that don't come out of the, the bed of flowery ease. That don't come out of the best days. That comes out of hard times. That comes out of furnaces. That comes out of getting knocked down and say, no matter what, I'm for him. I'm for him. And I know he's for me. Yes, sir. I know he's for me. Yes, sir. So let everything else fall. Amen. Him and him alone. Him and him alone. I love him because he first loved me. I Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Where's boasting then? It's excluded. By what law or works? Nay, but by the law of faith. By the law of faith. He said, therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. <clears throat> Do you love him this morning? Amen. Turn over to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. I want to catch just one verse, then jump over to verse 13. <clears throat> Hope maketh not ashamed. Hope maketh not ashamed. This isn't any hope. This isn't any natural hope. We just read these scriptures to you that him despising the cross endured the shame, endured it for you so that you would not have shame, that you would be clean and pure in his sight, that you could enter into that rest with him, Hebrews 4, that you could live your life hidden away in that Shekinah glory, that you would not be wondering, am I saved? Am I redeemed? Am I clean? Am I perfect? Am I pure in his sight? These things would be brought to a revelation in your heart and as to what he did because he loves you. Because he loves you. And he said, hope maketh not ashamed because the love of God. He took his love and he shined it on your heart. He shed it on your heart. In the Old Testament, they would take two turtle doves and they would take the male turtle dove and they would cut the head off of it and they would take its blood and let it pour all over the female turtle dove. Then that turtle dove would fly away. And as they flew away, that blood from that male turtle dove would drip on the ground Everywhere it went. It's not just meant to be us four no more. We'll take the grace of God and we'll hide here and, and we'll not share his life or his love with anyone else. No, that's not the spirit of Christ. That's the spirit of the enemy. The Lord is always come unto me. The bride will always say, come unto me, all you that are weary and heavy laden. Because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given. There's that gift again, given unto us. Now skip over to verse 13. <laughs> For until the law, sin was in the world. Until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses. So this is where people get tripped up about the law. They want to throw away the Old Testament. That was not the law. That doesn't mean anything. No, if it come out of the mouth of God, it means everything. It means everything. But you must have a revelation to be able to understand what he's saying. You cannot just cast it away because you thought so or someone else caught so. You say, God, give me a revelation of what you mean. So he's saying here, and it's even in parentheses, until the law, sin was in the world because of what Adam did. You'll agree with that. Yes, sin was in the world. That one law was there. Don't eat of that tree. And they broke that law. He said, nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after what Adam did. There are many others 
They did not do what Adam and Eve did, but death still reigned over them. They still lived under that curse. They were still cut off from God because of what Adam did. He said that they had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. And he's talking about that that first man had to be redeemed under that second man, the second Adam. The Bible teaches it, that second Adam. <clears throat> under the curse, being made a curse. That's why we start in Genesis chapter 2, being made a curse, being hung on a tree, being naked. He said, but not as the offense, not as the offense, not as the offense, so also is the free gift. So also is the free gift. It is not a coincidence the Lord Jesus Christ had to be virgin born. It's not a coincidence. It was not through the same way Adam and Eve fell. Adam and Eve fell through a sexual act. Jesus Christ was born without a sexual act. He was born. He had to be born perfect. He had to be born spotless. You don't do that. Everyone that's born of the womb, that's born of a man, born of a man through the blood of the man and the egg of the woman, everyone, you're born under sin, shaped in iniquity, come to this world speaking lies. He was not. Otherwise, he was not perfect for a sacrifice. Otherwise, you're not redeemed. God engrafted himself. He took God, created the blood cell. He created the hemoglobin. He put those cells together and cell on top of cell on top of cell. He built himself a body in the womb of Mary and used her as an incubator so that you could be redeemed. A perfect body. Perfect in every way. Body to be your sacrifice. And again, you ain't the one that's got to be satisfied. He had to be satisfied. Because it's not you that inspects the sacrifice. He inspected the sacrifice. He said, it's finished. It's done. I accept it. I accept it. I, I say that because the devil will put ideas in your head. The devil will tell you so many things because the devil, he knew who God was. He knows. He laid before his throne in the presence of the I am for no telling how long, eons. Eons of time worshiping the Lord until one day iniquity, iniquity was found in him. He's not confused of who God is. But when God came and wrapped himself in that body to redeem your flesh, it took Satan by surprise. You realize that? It took Satan by surprise. Because how could the highest, the greatest, the biggest, the most powerful, the most precious stoop down to the lowest and be born in a manger over a pile of manure and nobody even knew he was there. That if it wasn't for his angels telling shepherds and wise men, they would have never known that the I am was there. Never would have known it. God humbled himself into that for you. Humbled himself into that to you. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over after them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. But not as the offense, so also is the free gift. The free gift. For if through the offense of one, Adam and Eve, many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift of grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. This is where you say, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I have tasted that fruit of that mercy. I've tasted that love, that, that grace, and I thank him for it. 
Praise the Lord. And not as it was by one that sinned, so was the gift. For the judgment was by one to condemnation, but the free gift is of many offenses unto justification. Now, this is where Satan will beat you up again. That he's told many people that when you give your heart to God, and God accepted you, and God redeemed you, and God claimed you, that, that everything before then God redeemed. But if you make a mistake after that, you're not redeemed. That's the liar. That's the liar. So what Paul is teaching you here, he said Adam and Eve made one mistake. And that one mistake brought death to billions. Billions. But the free gift that God gave for you when he purchased you and washed you in his own blood, it was for every mistake. Past, present, future. Past present, future. See, Levi sang that song this morning when God ran. That's a type of the prodigal son. The prodigal son, as you would know from the name of that parable, was a son of that father. He was a son, yet he backslid. He fell away. He wanted to go taste of whatever the world has. The Bible says when he came to himself, when he came to himself, he's laying in a pig pen eating the food of swine. When he came to himself and realized where he was at and what he was doing, now humility is there. Now he's been knocked off his high horse. Now he understands, I need the father. I need him. And he starts to say that even the servants in my father's house eat better than I eat right now. So I'm going to go back and be a servant. You see the character of Christ right there? restored, redeemed, humble. But David even say, David would say, if I could just be a doormat, a doormat in the house of the Lord, if I could just be, put me back there as you walk in and let you wipe your feet on me, and I'll know that I've done something for the King of Kings. I was a place where his people could wipe their shoes off on me, that I say glory to God. Hallelujah. But he said he come to himself, and he realized he wasn't nothing. He wasn't nothing. He just piled dirt. That's all we are, piles of dirt. In ourselves, we are nothing. There's nothing good in us but Christ. Not one good thing. It's him. So he come to himself, and he said that even the servants eat from my father's table are better food than me. So I'm going to go home, and I'm going to beg him to forgive me and let him at least be a servant. And then the beautiful part about that is the father is on his front porch every single day waiting looking, come unto me, come unto me, come unto me. But it's too late. I've gone too far. I made too many mistakes. I've held my heart from you too long. I've hid away things from you for too long. And he still says, come unto me. He's still there knocking this morning. Come unto me. Leave that and come into me. And he said that as he come up the road to his house, the father steps out and he sees him and he takes off running toward him. You understand that he had every right to sit on that porch and say, you're going to come up here and bow at my feet and beg me to forgive you. Had every right. You're going to beg me to forgive you. Beg me like a dog. But that's not what the father did. He ran to him. He ran to him. You couldn't go to him. He come to you. You couldn't cross that divide. He come to you. 
Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I'm going to read one more thing to you before we close. If you'll turn to Revelation chapter 1. What a plan. What a masterpiece. What a marvelous work, as Isaiah would call it. Marvelous work. Do you find it marvelous this morning? Or is it, is it not do anything to your heart? Is it, are you sitting there stony heart this morning? It's, it's, eh, I don't do nothing for me. Or is your heart right now burning? Lord, I love you. I love you. I thank you, God, what you did for me. I love you, Lord. What mercy, what grace. Praise the Lord. Revelation chapter one, verse five. And from Jesus Christ, from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. You see that Old Testament type of the turtle doves? Washed us from our sins in his own blood and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. We love him because he first loved us. Let's all stand our feet this morning if we have the musicians come. <clears throat> For when we were yet without strength, when we were his enemy, when we were the one that said we didn't want you, he died for you. If he would do that just to redeem you, what would he do to keep you? What would he do to hold you? We've been preaching the last so many services on the rapture and what God has in our day, the translation of these bodies, the changing of these molecules. We understand that the only way that can happen is if he came himself and redeemed you. Otherwise, there is no rapture. There is no translation. There is no coming unto him. There is no going to streets of gold. There is no life without death. None of those things without what he did because he loves us. Because I know, oh yes, I, I know, He holds my future. And I must wait the living
before you this morning. We worship you as the Redeemer, as the Restorer, as the Lifter of our head, as our Maker, as our Husband, as our Lord Jesus Christ. How great you are, Lord. We love you this morning. We appreciate your mercy, the, the riches of your, your kindness and your love, your blessings, Lord. It's such a privilege to serve. Thinking about the line of that song, that my life is worth living all because of you, Lord. Paul would say, not me that lives anymore. I died a long time ago, but the precious life of the Lord Jesus Christ now lives in my place. Lord, help us to surrender to you. Help us to fling wide every door and make you comfortable, Lord, and make you welcome. We pray you bless our brothers and sisters this morning, that you would help them in their walk with you, that you would encourage them in the way they would go, Lord, that you would lead them and guide them in paths of righteousness, Father. Bless their lives, heal their bodies, touch their spirits, touch their hearts, Lord. Draw them closer to you. Lord, be with us as we go our separate ways. Be with us in our fellowship here in the building, here in a little bit, Lord. Let us constantly remember, Lord, how special that price, that gift you paid for us. Satan works all day long trying to minimize, diminish what you did, Lord, and what you're doing right now. Let us never forget. Let us never look away. Let us come to your cross and never look away, Lord. Draw us nearer, Lord Jesus. We surrender. We worship you, Lord. We thank you for being our God, for being our Lord and Savior. Thank you for loving us, Lord. There was no way we could have come across that divide. There was no way we could ever get back to you, Lord. But you loved us so much, you gave your very life. And we are standing here this morning, recipients of that grace. We say thank you, Jesus. We say thank you, Lord. And Lord, as we've seen the, the, all that you've done for your people, it is very evident, the scripture declares that if God be for us, who could be against us? We believe that this morning. As our brother said in song service, the weapon might be formed, but it will not prosper because you lift the standard. You lift us up higher in your word, in your life, in your Holy Ghost to where that all the fiery darts of the enemy are as nothing. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Bless our brothers and sisters. Lead us and guide us, Lord, in your name. Amen. Lord, I worship you. 
because of who you are. Oh, because of who you are, I give you glory. Sing because of who you are, I give you praise. Oh, because of who you are. you because of who you are. Lord, I worship you because of you see all the jobs. Lord, you reign. Lord, you Oh God, my Prince of Peace, and I worship you because of who you are, and I worship you because of who you are. Your joy. 